Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 is our text today as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount. I have made uh, snide comments in the past in some of my sermons about a career or an ambition of many people today that is commonly called an influencer. It is the desire of some in the younger generation specifically to make money influencing other people when it comes to their buying decisions. This is largely done, of course, on social media where they amass enough followers that companies will pay them to showcase or use a product for a fee. Obviously then, the more followers that they have, the more influence and thus the greater ability to leverage that influence to make money. And so when you reach that level, In this particular industry, I suppose you can add that to your social media platform and call yourself an influencer. Well, I did a search this week on the top five influencers on Instagram, and the results are likely to surprise you. You could do the same thing with other social media like TikTok or YouTube. I did those searches as well, but I didn't know any of the people that came up when I did those searches. So I'm going to stick to Instagram for the sake of this illustration. The number one influencer on Instagram with 552 million followers, a man some estimate makes $1.6 million every time he posts when a product is involved. He's a football star, as you might expect. His name is Cristiano Ronaldo. I said football on purpose, but we know it, of course, as soccer. Speaking of soccer, the number two influencer on Instagram is another soccer star. Leo Messi coming in at 434 million followers. I know we tend to think that the world revolves around America, but the top two Instagram influencers are both European football or soccer stars. Now, number three and four will probably not surprise you, maybe as much as those two did. Number three, Selena Gomez with 388 million followers, and four, Kylie Jenner, with 379. You knew one of the Kardashians was going to be in there somewhere. I mean, there's no way one of them is not in the top five. The last of the top five, a former professional wrestler, no, Knox County Mayor Glenn Jacobs, It is another former wrestler turned actor, Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, with 366 million followers. Now, I'm confident that no no matter how many followers you have on social media, your numbers will fall way short of those. But that doesn't mean you're not an influencer. You may never make money off of your influence, but the truth of the matter is, as a believer, you are an influencer. 
regardless of how many people you have following you or regardless of how large or small your influence is, you are an influencer. We finished last week the beatitude portion of the Sermon on the Mount, but we are far from over with the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon goes all the way through chapter 7 of Matthew's Gospel, so we have a long way to go. Although we're certainly going to speed it up and not take one verse at a time. So what comes after the Beatitudes, these countercultural statements that we've been looking at for the last two months, what comes immediately following these statements? And the answer is, you're going to be influencers. Last week, we talked about the negative side of that. That is, when you and I live out the Beatitudes, we might face persecution, Today, we're going to look at the positive side. That is, again, as we live out the Beatitudes, we have an opportunity to influence those around us and society in general. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and think about our roles as influencers. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, the first thing we need to see this morning is is actually the most obvious and the most general. In fact, it's so obvious that I almost did not put it in here at all, but I decided we did need to start with it. And that is that influencers have a positive effect. And we have to start there because certainly it is possible for us to have a a negative effect. We can negatively influence others, but that is certainly not what these verses nor my sermon is talking about this morning. We often talk about our children getting in with the wrong crowd or succumbing to peer pressure. Our good children, or so we think, get in with the wrong crowd and they are negatively influenced by their peers or their friends. I've said occasionally that peer groups and future spouses in the long run can actually have and usually do have a larger influence upon our children than even we do because we have them for a set number of years and then others influence them after that. Jacob's friends are now overriding my own influence over him as far as which which team he's now pulling for. It is indeed a sad day in our household. Scripture says bad company corrupts good morals. So while negatively influencing others is a possibility, and indeed it is what we do sometimes to some degree or another, that is not what we are talking about this morning. We're talking about the positive side of influencing. Now you might be quick to conclude that you don't have much of an influence especially when I began with those huge numbers of people on Instagram and maybe you have a hundred followers or so. And so you say, well, I don't have much of an influence. But sociologists tell us that even the most introverted of people is going to influence some 10,000 people over their lifetime. 
Others have the estimate to be much higher, especially, of course, for extroverts. For example, some say that if you meet two to three people every day, I'm not talking about two or three people that become your best friends. I'm just talking about you run into two or three new people every day. It might be a very quick and chance encounter, but you run into them. And the average lifespan is about 80 years. So if you run into two or three people every day over the course of 80 years, you are going to impact or influence somewhere between 60 and 80,000 people over your lifespan. Now, that's not quite the capacity of Neyland Stadium, but it's close. Can you imagine looking at a stadium filled with people at the end of your life, and you look all around that stadium, and you think to yourself, in some way, often very small, but in some way, I had an influence over everybody in this stadium. Now, you might say, but I don't want to do that. I just want to live a quiet life and not be bothered. I don't want to get involved in other people's lives. But as Christians, you do not have that option. Jesus is about to give us two illustrations in this text, both of which are going to testify to the fact that we must have an influence in our world. But for now, I want you to see how each of these begin. Look at verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Those are emphatic statements in the original, which means they can actually be translated, you yourselves are. These are not commands. These are not encouragements. These are statements of fact. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So with that as a foundation, let's move to look at these two illustrations that Jesus uses to talk about how we can have a positive influence. So influencers have a positive effect. Secondly, influencers have a preserving effect. Now, salt was a well-known commodity in that day and remains so today. Every household represented here this morning, I have no doubt, has salt in it. And you use it on a regular basis. Now, for us, of course, it is a flavoring agent, largely, such that one of the first things many people do when the food is placed in front of them is they pick up the salt. I continue to say one of the biggest tragedies coming out of COVID was the fact that I still can't get salt and pepper on a table when I go to a restaurant. I have to ask for it. When are they going to put that stuff back out there so I don't have to ask for it anymore? But we all use salt on a regular basis. Even Job said, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? So salt is a flavoring agent, but it's also a preservative, especially in the days before refrigeration. We take for granted that we can put meat in the refrigerator and it'll last a week or two. We can put meat in the freezer and it will last much longer than that and we can pull it out at some time in the future and it's still rather fresh. But in biblical times, it was essential to preserve and thus prolong the usefulness of meats and so they rubbed salt in it in order for it to last longer. There were certainly other uses of salt as well. It was used in some of the Old Testament offerings. It was used in ratifying some of the covenants symbolizing the permanence and incorruptible nature of the covenants. Some say it was even used for a portion of the pay for Roman soldiers, which is where we get the phrase that someone is not worth their salt. 
That means they're not worth their wages. They're not worth what you are paying them. The image is used in many different ways, leaving us wondering exactly which way Jesus had in mind here. I mean, again, even today we talk about salty language, coarse or crude words. Or we say someone is the salt of the earth, referring to someone who is grounded, honest, or reasonable. Neither of which is the focus here. So you can tell by my heading that most believe that Jesus is talking about the preserving aspect with that statement, though that does not rule out a flavoring aspect as well. Now, if we are to be a preserving element in society, that does imply something that we already know to be true. That is, if we are to preserve society, we also must acknowledge that society is in a state of decay. Our world is not getting better and better, and one day there's going to be a utopian society. Rather, we know from our own experience that society in many important ways is getting worse and worse. We have made tremendous advancements in technology and other areas, but in the areas of morals and ethics and human decency, I think we would all testify that we have gone backwards. How then can we, who don't have millions of followers on social media, have any preserving influence on our culture? Or if it's getting so much worse, why even bother? Well, some would say that the answer is to get more involved politically or to address the situations that are going in on in our world with workable solutions that can solve the problems. And that's in large measure what the social justice movement is all about. And let me be very clear here. You can get involved politically and you can fight for justice. Those are good things when they are sought and pursued and done in balance. Or you might say, well, what we really need to do is we need to start boycotting companies. That's the only way to get their attention. We can boycott them and stop spending our money so that financially they'll, they'll, get, we'll, they'll get our attention or vice versa. And they might change what they believe because we've hit them financially. But in this day and age of mega corporations, I dare say there's not a lot you can do for most of those. Now, it's okay if you want to boycott. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just don't think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The question is, what did Jesus have in mind when he used this illustration to picture this, his followers? Remember, we are coming off the heels of the Beatitudes. So I think what he is simply saying is, live like a member of the kingdom. How do you have a preserving influence on society? You simply live like a Christian. This kind of living doesn't negate the other things I've just mentioned. And in fact, they may directly involve those things. But first and foremost, he's calling us to live differently from those around us, to live according to the kingdom standards and principles that we've already talked about, so that in some sense, this is a mere summary of all we've looked at over the last eight weeks. And as we live a different life, we are going to have an impact. And we are going to have a preserving impact on the society around us. Now, it might be in small ways, meaning that someone may not speak such coarse language around you because they know you won't stand for it. 
Someone may not tell the jokes that they normally tell when you're there. And that's a small way of preserving society because people are changing the way they live because they know what you stand for. Or it may be much more significant than that. Meaning someone sees how you handle a, a situation in your life or a tragedy and when something similar strikes their life, they come to you asking questions about how you endured that and you're able to help them through it. You've seen the popular sticker that a lot of people put on their cars, two words, it simply says salt life. I don't put stickers on my car, but if I did, that might be one of them. Because what that, what that means is, I like the beach. You know, that's a reminder that we enjoy going to the beach. Well, it could and should be a two-word statement for the Christian. Salt life. You are the salt of the world. And therefore, we are to have a preserving effect. Well, let's look at the next illustration, the illustration of light. And here we're going to see that influencers have a penetrating effect. Here, of course, we are talking about the light of the world. The motif of light is even a more prevalent image in the Bible than salt. But before we get there, this once again applies something else. Even as salt of the earth implies that there is decay going on, so light of the world implies that there is darkness all around us. Something that scripture makes abundantly clear. John reminds us that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Spiritually speaking, men and women are living in darkness because their eyes are blind to the truth of the gospel and the person of Christ. And thus they need the light. And Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. That's one of his I am statements in John's gospel. There's eight of them. And that one says, I am the light of the world. And he, here he is saying the same thing to us. That even as he is the light of the world, we are to be lights to the world as well. And those lights shine so that they might penetrate darkness. Now, verse 16 is an imperative. That is, it is a command. I made the point that verses 13 and 14 were not. But verse 16 is, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world, therefore let your light shine so that God's glory becomes evident. Now we'll talk more about that in just a moment, especially the opposite and unthinkable, but we will understand at this point that the purpose of light is to shine and therefore to drive out darkness. The ultimate purpose is not so that they will see you, but they will in turn recognize that your light comes from another source. Sometimes we enjoy a clear night and we look out and the moon, especially when it's near full or full, it gives off a great light and we enjoy looking at it. And in fact, I, I've had the experience sometimes where I get up in the middle of the night and it, it's so bright out and I think I've left an outdoor light on. And so I'll look out to see if I uh, forgot to turn a light off and instead it's the moon and the moon is shining so brightly it's giving light off. But you do realize that the moon has no light of its own. The moon merely reflects the sun. The sun is so bright that we can't even look at it, or at least not for long. You can't stare directly at it. 
And even though it's miles away, the sun is shining on the moon and the moon is reflecting that light. Likewise, we must be bright lights, but it is not our light that is necessary. We are merely reflecting the light of the Son of God. And even as we sang somewhat similar earlier, the song asking Christ to abide with us, we are to abide in him. And as we abide in him, we can reflect his light for others to see. And when they see it, they will sometimes realize that it's not your light you're showing, but it is the light of another source. In this case, it is God, and they will give him glory. We've mentioned occasionally that man's ultimate purpose is to glorify God with our lives and all that we do. And here we see that not only can we give God glory by the way we live our lives, but we have a part to play in others giving God glory as well. We can influence people by our lives such that they might glorify God as well, and that is the ultimate influencers. Now, I want to go ahead and point out that this is not in conflict to what you see in chapter 6, verse 1. So let's go ahead and look at that. I know we're jumping ahead. We'll get there in a few weeks. But chapter 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So here he's saying, Let your light shine so that others may see. But in chapter 6, he says, Be very careful that you're not doing your righteousness to be seen by others. The difference is in chapter 6, it is a selfish motive, it is for self righteousness' sake. That is, we want the pat on the back. It's not about bringing God glory, it's about bringing myself glory. And so when we do our deeds to be seen by others so that they might think how good we are, he says you don't have a reward. But when we do our good deeds because we want to be salt and light to a decaying and dark world, then God is the one who gets the glory. So it's not about personal acclaim, it's about the glory of God. So how do we shine brightly in a dark world? Well, the answer is twofold. I've already alluded to it. One is that we must stay close to the sun. That is the only way to reflect his light. And thus, as we pursue purity and righteousness, having mourned over our sins, once again, this all goes back to the Beatitudes. And then just like with salt, we simply live out our faith. There is no magic bullet here. There is no secret formula I don't have a three-step plan that if you'll follow it successfully, then you will let your light shine. It's simply abiding and obeying. It is abiding in Christ and, obey, and living in obedience to Christ. And then as we shine as light, darkness is forced to respond. Now that response can be what we saw last week. That is, it can be persecution. Men love darkness because their deeds were evil, so they might persecute you. But the positive side is what we're talking about today. And instead of persecuting, they may praise the God whom they see in your life. The last thing we want to talk about is that influencers have a perpetual effect. Now here we are going back to both illustrations and talking about the ongoing nature of them both. In other words, salt continues to be salt and light continues to shine. By nature of their respective uh, beings, both of those things are true. And so with salt, Jesus proposes what the outcome would be if salt was no longer salty. 
Now, here's where some immediately say, well, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about because salt cannot become unsalty. It's an oxymoron. Unsalty salt is an oxymoron. But if you've been to Israel, you've probably visited the Dead Sea, also known as the Salt Sea. It is the lowest body of water on the face of the earth. And it is also heavily salted. It is way more salt. Uh, it has way more salt in it than, than any of the oceans you've been in. Such that there no, there's no fish. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. No fish can live in it because it is simply too salty. But you can float naturally on the top of it. You don't even have to try because it holds you up because of its salt content. But it is possible in that part of the world and in the first century in which Jesus was talking, surely he's thinking about the salt sea as he's dealing with this. And it is possible for that salt to be either contaminated or diluted. So while it is rare, it's not unheard of. And that is the point that Jesus is making. Salt by its nature is salty. So a Christian by our nature is to be the salt of the earth and anything less is unthinkable. But it does happen, and when it happens, the salt is worthless. Except, he says, to be cast out, be trampled on. You can make a walkway of it, or in our day and age, maybe a gravel driveway with salt that is worthless. I find it interesting that the word translated lost its taste is also the word that is translated elsewhere, become foolish. It's foolish to live a life where we are not flavoring and preserving elements in our society. Now, I mentioned earlier that we all have salt in our homes, probably multiple salt shakers up in the cabinet, but that doesn't do us any good, does it? Salt in the salt shaker in the cabinet doesn't flavor nor preserve. You have to get it out of the salt shaker in order to have its desired effect. And one of the difficult balancing acts of the Christian life is how to be in the world and yet not influenced by the world. And at various times in history and potentially in our personal lives as well, we have erred on either side. We've either become too much like the world while trying to reach them and then we lose our distinctive nature and therefore we cannot have the impact that we want or we retreat from the world because we're afraid of being contaminated and then we have no influence at all. It is very clear that in order to be an influencer, you must participate in the world. Jesus was criticized as being a friend of sinners and yet he said very clearly, it is for sinners that I've come. He couldn't share with them, he couldn't teach them, he couldn't show them who he was unless he spent time with them. And so to influence people, we have to be involved in people's lives. And yes, that means even in this digital age. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever called you a friend of sinners? I mean, if that's what Jesus was called, and it was used as a criticism, but if that's what Jesus was called and we are followers of his, shouldn't it be true in, in that arena of our lives that somewhere somebody's going to say, he sure hangs around sinners a lot because that's exactly what Jesus did. So salt means that we have to get out of the salt shaker and help preserve the decay that is going on around us. Likewise, when it comes to light, lights by, light by its nature is meant to shine and penetrate darkness. Otherwise, there is no point in light. There is no point in lighting a light only to conceal it. 
The lights here of an elevated city, he says, cannot be hidden. I'm sure many of us have had the experience of flying into some major city in the middle of the night and looking out the airplane window and seeing all of the lights of that city. It's just a, it's a beautiful way to see a city. And it's not that you're focused on one particular light, but it's the vast amount of lights that have got your attention. And so perhaps this part of the illustration speaks to the corporate effect of shining our lights. That you and I individually may not give off a tremendous amount of penetrating light, but collectively we can. That's why it's not just about individually pursuing righteousness. That's part of the picture, but it's not all of the picture. We do this together to magnify our light so that others can see us shining. Likewise, he says, you don't light a lamp only to hide it under a basket. I mean, that makes no sense. It defeats the whole purpose of the lamp and is indeed a ridiculous concept. And so the question then becomes, why are we hiding our light? Perhaps, as we discussed last week, out of fear of persecution. So we shine when we're together as a body of believers. When we gather on Sundays or Wednesdays, we have no problem shining our light. But when we leave here and we go to our homes and our neighborhood and our businesses, maybe it's not so bright. It's not that we turn it off. Remember, you are the light of the world. That's a statement of fact. But we do have ways in which we can conceal it so that others may not see it. We are the light, but often we are not letting our light shine for others to see. So both of these illustrations deal with the distinctive nature of being in the world and yet not becoming like the world. We must be part of the world in order to preserve it from decay and penetrate the darkness we can't isolate ourselves, hoping to maintain our purity by not getting close enough to anything that is impure. But we must also maintain our differences as followers of Christ at the same time so that we do not become unsalty or dim. Like so many things, this is a hard balance to achieve and usually people have gone to the extreme on one side or the other. The balance, we have to acknowledge, is different for different people. That is, it might depend or it does depend on your maturity in Christ. If you're a new believer, there's going to be a different point of balance than if you're a, you've been a believer for 20 or 30 or more years. But all of us have a part to play. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 50, Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. So what he's saying there is be salt to the earth, but don't forget, you've got to remain the salt. So don't lose your distinctives as a believer. Well, like many of you, I have reached the age where I have to limit my use of salt. I have high blood pressure, probably caused by you, but nevertheless, I have it. <laughs> and therefore, I don't use salt very often. The only thing I salt these days is French fries. I'm sure that most of the food I get has enough salt on it already. But when it comes to the salt life of the Christian, there is no need to ration our use of salt Instead, we ought to liberally apply it to all so that we can influence them. When I was growing up, I can't tell you how many times I heard my parents say, turn the lights off when you leave a room. I'm sure it was a money-saving initiative on their part, which I do still follow, whether it saves much money or not. It is just practical. If nobody's in the room, there is no point in having a light on. 
And when I first moved down on my own and had multiple roommates through college and seminary, I learned and was irritated by the fact that others were not raised in that same way. So, so they left lights on all the time. And then when I had children of my own, once again, I can't tell you how many times I've said to our children, turn the lights off when you leave a room. But when it comes to letting our light shine for Christ, there is no need to ever turn it off. If we are going to be influencers, we must let our light shine perpetually. Now, I have no desire to be a social media influencer as defined by today's world. But I do want to be an influencer. And I want you to join me as we strive to influence others for Christ. But you say, but you haven't really told us how to do that. I mean, you've said a few things along the way, abide in Christ, be obedient to him, but you've not really told us a lot about how we are to be salt and light. And my answer is, yes, I have. I've been doing that for the last two months. As you live out the Beatitudes, then we come to these verses and you are the salt that preserves society and you are the light that penetrates the darkness and you are to do this perpetually so that we together can influence the world for the sake of Christ and for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that you have called us not only to a relationship with you, but to be influencers in this world. You've not taken us out of the world the moment that we're saved. Instead, you've left us in the world so that we can make a difference in your name. So I pray that we would so live our lives, as we've talked about the last two months, that we would be what you've already said we are, and that is salt to a decaying world, preserving the influence, and light to a world in darkness so that they might see our good works and give glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.